It's dripping with blood. Yes, it's dripping with blood. This Holy Ghost Gospel, it's dripping with blood. The blood of disciples who died for the truth. This Holy Ghost Gospel is dripping with blood. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and Ron. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Sick and Ron, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your host, D. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Uh, I am tired. And I'm just tired. <laughs> I've had a busy weekend. Did you have a guest in town this weekend? I did. I, Claudia from We Hate You podcast came over and stayed, and we went out, and then we went cemetery hopping today. Um, did a lot of drinking, I imagine. Yes, I drank definitely uh, more than my fair shares worth last night. Too bit hungover today. Yeah, and then I did one of those things where I went for like I'm a bad napper. I'm not a good napper. I usually wake up more tired from my naps and I'm grouchy and I've just never got the swing of them very right. I just, I'm a sleeper. I can sleep for 20 hours, but I can't sleep for three hours. I don't feel refreshed. Oh, I love napping. So, um, in addition to uh, going out drinking, did you guys go uh, see the movie 80 for Brady? Why would we see that? I don't even know what that is. You haven't heard about that movie? No. What is it? Well, it's a good movie to see for Super Bowl weekend. It's uh, a new film starring Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, okay. Rita oh. Moreno, Sally Field, women. and Tom Brady. As in the, the, I was about to say the wrestler, as in the fucking the quarterback, Tom Brady. Who's yeah, Tom retired. Brady, the, the, uh, probably the greatest, you know, they say he's the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Um, but it's about these four, you know, I, I haven't seen it, but this is kind of what I've, I've heard it's about, what I think it's about. It's about these four female octogenarians who live life to the fullest when they embark on a wild trip to have sex with their hero, Tom Brady. Why Tom? I think Tom Brady is a bit gross looking. I think it's all the very raw vegan food he eats. He has a weird diet. Possibly. I, I know a lot of women fantasize about him and these four... You know, 80-year-old women that on their bucket list was to have a full-on orgy with Tom Brady. Can I just say, I know Jane Fonda is not long for this world. I fucking love Jane Fonda, and I have loved her all my life. And it's going to be really sad when she dies. Well, it's probably all the more reason to have this orgy with her her four friends or three other friends and Tom Brady. I, I actually read that they cut a lot of footage to make it an R rating because it was originally it was NC-17 for nudity and, and extreme adult situations. Do you think you see all that it is? You see everything. You know. You don't see everything, do you? That's from, okay. I know they cut out. I bet you in the the uh, the un you know censored version that will come out, like the director's cut, you probably what, will we're gonna see, see everything. Puss and asshole. Yeah, you know it's interesting. A lot of male and female listeners to this fine program here have told me that they would have been bigger fans of the Golden Girls if there was more nudity 
And so to them, I say, well, you're going to love 80 for Brady. You know, 80 squirting orgasms by 80-year-old women for Tom Brady. I kind of believe you, but at the same time, I, I this is fabrics. You haven't even seen the movie. It's it's insanely popular right now. Um, I've heard Tom Brady's stamina is amazing. And the fact that he can stay erect to do reverse cowgirl with four 80-year-old ladies is impressive. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's, See, why he's, that's why he's truly the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Isn't he married to, is it G- Giselle? Giselle, who once went out with Leonardo DiCaprio? Isn't that who he's married to? Funny you should ask me that because he, he officially retired this year and divorced Giselle so he can ah. have sex with older women. Oh, right. So that's why he's in this movie getting his rocks off. You know, I've never been a, I've never been a big Brady fan. I always kind of hated uh, the Patriots. Um, but he was the quarterback at the University of Michigan when me and Wackerly were there. Oh, okay. Yeah, like uh, and he late was probably 90s. a weird vegan. You and him have a lot in common, uh, I would say, diet-wise. Well, although I mean, he would never put a not dog inside of his body, not in a million fucking years would he eat a not dog. I don't know. Regardless, if he's a weird vegan, I'm just not a. And he is. Yes, he's probably one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. But you know, I'm just not really a fan of him personally. Is- I am a fan of the scene where he DP'd Lily Tomlin with Rob uh, Gronkowski, though. I There's would so probably much also be a fan of that. As an as- a quick aside, is Dan Marino a quarterback? Dan Marino? Yes, him. He was in the 80s of the Dolphins. Well, he's my favorite. He's my favorite because he's an ace Ventura. So he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Well, I don't know. He's I don't an know ace if, Ventura. I don't know if Dan Marino is, uh, you know, stooping four 80-year-old women at one I, if, time. With that mustache, he fucking could do anything he wants. As an uh, another aside, I fucking love a man with a mustache. There's something just like very sexy about a mustached man. <laughs> Yeah, you and the village people. So are you two uh, mm-hmm. watching the Super Bowl, you and Claudia, today? Eagles versus the Chiefs? Of course we Chiefs? went. No? We were, wa- we were watching Strangers with Candy. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to miss uh, Rihanna's doing the halftime show. Oh, what a, it won't be ever as good as Whitney. Like, that's all we needed. Whitney was the pinnacle. It's all been downhill ever since. It was really funny. Uh, Trump... And uh, Trump's former physician, Ronnie Jackson, were pushing to get the NFL to ban her from performing this, this Why? week. Why? <laughs> because <laughs> Trump tweeted out, on, uh, or I guess posted on his Truth Social, uh, he said that Rihanna has no talent and is bad everything. Without her stylist, she'd be nothing, all caps. Bad everything, no talent, all caps. Is he fucking joking? Like, well, I'm not even, like, a Rihanna fan, but, like, I, whenever people say that about them, I'm like, well, okay, then, you go out and fucking sing Chains of Whips and see how good you can fucking do it. Well, I think it's hilarious, because I guess his former physician, Ronnie Jackson, um, said that uh, Rihanna, I guess he, he, like, shared a tweet. She had spray-painted, fuck Donald Trump, at a car on a, at the Cadillac Ranch in Amarillo, Texas, and so he said, Rihanna spray-painted fuck Donald Trump on a car at the Cadillac Ranch. She's made a career of spewing degenerate filth while bad-mouthing America every chance she gets, which I got to say is a lot like Kate Rambo with 9-11 jokes. Um, why is the NFL showcasing this crap? Rihanna should not be the halftime performer. And that's when Trump jumped in with a, with right, a bad, yeah, I see. bad everything. Good for Rihanna. 
<laughs> I hope she has like an anti-Trump thing in her halftime show today. That would be amazing if she did. Uh, that would be incredible. Although I think the NFL would freak out because ha- I mean, probably more than half of their uh, their audience would be voting for Trump next election. Uh, she, yeah, maybe she would get herself banned. But what a glorious thing to be banned for. You know, she's Do not even getting paid for it. She's just doing it for the exposure. Because she needs the exposure. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's a. I think she's just doing it because she hasn't. I, I read that she has not performed in like five or six years. Yeah, and you so, know why that is, don't you? Because she's fucking been having a baby. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't she need. To, if you're that mega multi-billion rich, she doesn't need to perform anymore. Like she's got a fucking Fenty beauty, man. Well, she must. Yeah, she has her whole uh, the the whole what the Fendi empire that she does. But I think she, you know it's, she's probably doing. She's probably about to release another record, doing her comeback. Yeah. The biggest advertisement you could possibly do is the NFL's halftime show for the Super Bowl. It just will never be as good as just Whitney coming out in a tracksuit with her hair, like just coming out and fucking nailing it. <laughs> um, I'm surprised they didn't get the Kardashians to do uh, to do something. Although, well, do you think the Kardashians songs. they're probably doing their own like Super Bowl thing? I imagine. I fucking imagine, of course, they are, and they're spending like millions on their parties. Yeah, they probably have some amazing Super Bowl party. Anyway, this is part two of the <laughs> Ku Klux Kardashians. Um, and this week we're going to discuss in detail how the Kardashians funded the second and third wave of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, not directly, but through supporting their leaders financially. You know, to yeah. be honest, I can't believe no one has ever called them out for this. I'm so surprised by it as well because it's yeah. all like verifiable. It's not anything here that isn't true. It's I mean, just it, so weird. I was chatting about this topic with the girl I work with. And she was like, ooh, conspiracy. I was like, it's not really a conspiracy. I mean, it's true. You, you it's just not look even it a conspiracy. up. It's, yeah, it's like their her great grandfather funded the, the leaders of the KKK. I mean, it's, but yet there's no cancellation. Like Roseanne Barr was canceled from really making a Twitter joke. Remember this about Valerie Jarrett? I feel bad for Roseanne, and I feel that she was unnecessarily canceled. And it's time for her to have a comeback. Come back, Ugh, Roseanne. I hate her. I think she sucks, like Ro- but whatever. I like Roseanne. Um, but she wrote, which is a funny joke if you think about it, uh, Valerie Jarrett was the senior advisor to, to Obama. She wrote, if the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby equals Valerie Jarrett. Um, yeah. But you know what, though? Roseanne Barr's family wasn't funding an infamous racial hate group. No, they didn't. And I mean, the KKK definitely probably wouldn't exist uh, at the time if it wasn't for the Kardashians pumping fucking cash into it. Well, we're going to get into that. But I, I, I just think it's an outrage. It's an outrage that no <laughs> one's ever called them out for it. But, you know, maybe after this episode, someone will. So uh, before we get into the... Uh, the Ku Klux Kardashians part two. Let's chat about the Sigma Rock Patreon. You know, people often ask me, how can I support the show, D? I love the show. You've been going on, you've been doing it for so long. Can I tattoo your logo on my breasts? Or maybe just give you my firstborn? And I say, you don't need to do that. You don't. <laughs> you could just sign up for the Patreon and just for five bucks a month, you can support the show and you get access to a, a, the, the bonus program, the Sigma Rock second show. You know, we do an extra show on Patreon every week. It's quite a bit more cheeky, as the Brits would say. Um, this week is very cheeky, really cheeky episode with Kate Rambo and special guest Claudia. 
um, from the, what is it, the We Hate You podcast? Yeah, We Hate You podcast. And uh, yeah, we uh, get you progressively get drunker and it, the, it gets saucier throughout it. But what were you, what was the subject matter this uh, this episode? Um, oh my god, I kind of can't remember now because I did get obliterated, and that was the start of the drinking. But we talked about we it was loosely Kardashian based, but it's just a lot of us gossiping. It's a lot of gossip. But was it more Hot focused gossip. on Robert Kardashian? Yeah, it kind of is, but it kind of also gets dropped, and we just start gossiping. Very juicy. <laughs> This is some celebrity news right here on the uh, the Sick and Wrong uh, second <laughs> show. So five bucks a month, you can support your favorite podcasters, and you don't have to get a tattoo that is permanent. Um, for a few dollars more, uh, you can get access to uh, the Sick and Wrong Overkill, which is our bonus Minnesota, um, and access to the Sick and Wrong archives. We have 10 years of Sick and Wrong available on SoundCloud playlists, only on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Um, let me play this uh, Patreon promo real quick, and then uh, let's get into that time Kim Kardashian became the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not a Sick and Wrong patron, then you might be missing out on special phone calls like this one. Wait, and, yeah, uh, I can't believe you'd just do that for five grand. I would like to know how many women on the Patreon would let a man fart in their face for $5,000. Most would say at least 10. At least a tenner. At least 10 grand. <laughs> no, I think five grand is pretty reasonable to be, to be fair. I mean, because it's only going to last a second, like if that. And then it, it's also, you know, you've got that story in your back pocket to like bring out at family events and dinners. Any family <laughs> event from then on, you've got this hook in this time. And probably some of the women on the Patreon are married, and I imagine that their fart, fucking husbands just fart in front of them for free. Yeah, at but least probably, not while they're, money. probably not what they're tossing their set like tossing a salad that's tossing intimate salad. that's intimate then you get a fart right <laughs> in your face times. all right what about okay what about rupert grint who is rupert grint ron weasley from Harry Potter. Ew! <laughs> i don't have a fucking have juliani's ginger fart in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. oh god no Wait, you would rather have juliani than a ginger fart yeah <laughs> of course now, now the that's the poll. Chuck Berry, it looks off. Then Giuliani. <laughs> then Giuliani. Then. And then if the ginger fucker wants to fart in my mouth, then um, it's ten grand. Ten grand for the ginger. <laughs> yeah. Price goes up for that ugly fuck. For just five dollars, you can hear the rest of this phone call, a bonus news story, and about an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. So I don't think you guys need reminded. Uh, you're obviously all very smart people because you listen to this show, but this is the second part in a two-part series. We covered a lot of ground in part one, so if you haven't listened to it, you should, you know, listen to part one. I don't, I don't think you need told, but you should. Last week, we briefly mentioned the full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. You got to international even. You got to say that five times really fast when you're drunk. So this, the Kardashians' great uncle, uh, Demos, Demos. I was calling him Demos Shakiri. I like Demos. It sounds Demos. Very it's like we are demons. <laughs> uh, 
He founded this in 1952. So this is a fun fact here, and it shows how the Kardashians really like to keep it in the family. But after divorcing Chris Houghton, who then uh, became Chris Jenner, in 1991, by 1995, Robert Kardashian was dating, stopping, and apparently engaged to his kissing third cousin, Denise uh, Shakirian. Uh, so Denise was uh, Demos's granddaughter. Ew. So that's pretty, ew. So wait, Chris Houghton, that's Chris Jenner, right? That's, That's Chris Jenner name. now, as we know her. Yeah. You, you know what's interesting? So he divorced Chris, Chris Jenner and then 1995 remarried his third cousin. But April 1991, only one month after her divorce from Robert Kardashian, Chris Jenner married. married her second spouse, retired Olympian Bruce Jenner, who eventually she was came out as a transgender in 2015. So she only waited a month to get on that transgender cock. Well, she also said that Bruce Jenner was the best lover of her life. Me and Claudia still? talk about that. Bruce Jenner was. No, I mean still to this day. I don't know. She's probably taken that back now. Uh, <laughs> with all the amino- Well, you know, Bruce Jenner doesn't even exist anymore. It's like a dead man. Oh, yeah, possibly. So, yeah, so Claudia and I from the We Hate You podcast, we go deep kind of into Robert's history. Um, so if you want to hear, I, there's actually a lot about Robert Kardashian I never knew. And he's not a very nice person. Uh, pe- the public seems to paint him as a nice person, but he's a fucking kind of a racist. But he seems like a dick, there. that guy. He is a bit of a fucking dick, and I can see why Chris Jenner divorced him. Deimos had been named for his grandfather, so the Kardashian sisters and brother's great-grandfather, who had emigrated, then died whilst he was working on the construction of the Los Angeles Salt and Lake Railroad in Nevada. His son Isaac, he's the father to Deimos, he inherited the family business and he became a hugely successful dairy farmer. And by the time uh, Deimos Jr. entered the business, their dairy herd was reportedly the largest in the world at the time. So the cash is just rolling in. Deimos was also fiercely Pentecostal. He was uh, also a speaker and he would organize evangelical campaigns. He included, as previously mentioned in part one, William Brannan, and he helped, uh, probably helped fund AVEC's healing tour as well. William Marion Brannan was born in 1909 in a mountain cabin near Burkesville, which I think is really funny because do you know what? Like, do you use the phrase Burke? We don't, but I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, it's a great British slang word, isn't it? It's stop being a Burke. So he's born in Burkesville, Kentucky. His childhood was spent in extreme poverty. His father was 18. His mother was only 15 when he was born. And he's the first of nine boys and one girl. You know, that's still the average age for motherhood in Kentucky. I never knew it snowed in Kentucky. I don't know why I didn't know that. Everything I know about Kentucky comes from Elvis songs. It's cold there. Uh, William, who reinvented his whole life, stated that on the day of his birth, the midwife placed him in his mother's arms. And as dawn broke, the midwife went to open the shutters. And as she did, a few rays of light fell into the room. And there appeared to be a small circular halo above little William as he lay in his mother's arms. When he was free, he first heard what he would later call The Voice. And uh, no, it's not that stupid TV show or The Voice of Whitney or Mariah. He said it was God. And by that time he was seven, the voice was commanding him, repeating, don't you never drink, smoke, or defile your body in any way. There'll be work for you to do when you get older. You know, Branham told told his audience that he grew up in deep poverty, often not having adequate clothing, 
and that his family was involved in criminal activities. Well, they um, were. His dad was. Yeah, his dad was, uh, mm. for sure. He's a bootlegger. Uh, Brendan's neighbors reported him as someone who always seemed a little different, but they said he was a dependable youth. Brandon explained that his tendency towards mystical experiences and moral purity caused misunderstandings among his friends, family, and other young people. So he was a black sheep from an early age, and he called his childhood a terrible life. Could you imagine how fucking annoying that kid must have been? I, I shall never smoke, Papa, and I shall never imbibe a body, and I, Papa, I shall not touch my willy ever, Papa. That's what he was like. He was walking around with a fucking handkerchief hanging out of his pocket. And a he'd just walk suit. around and be like, whiskey makes the baby Jesus cry. Yeah, just, yeah you can just tell they're like just that. like, oh, would you shut the fuck up, boy? <laughs> <laughs> well, eventually, uh, William's going to say that he changed the name of the voice to be known as the angel. And it would direct him in all aspects of his life. During his so-called healing trances, his angel would work for him. As I mentioned last week, he was huge in the Pentecostal circles, and this is how he came to be friends with uh, Deimos. The Gospel International even wrote in their magazine about Billy, saying, In Bible days, there were men of God who were prophets and seers. But in all the sacred records, none of these had a greater ministry than that of William Branham. William taught strict and hard militant Christian messages, especially uh, if you were, for you if you were a woman inside his cult of personality. Women who even dared to wear pants were considered harlots. <laughs> Women who could and did vote were leading in the destruction of the United States. They should not go to work or to school, as Branham taught, um, an animal kingdom hierarchy, saying that human males were the highest, but women are even lower than hogs. So I have a clip here from a famous 1965 sermon uh, called Marriage and Divorce. And you can find, like, all of William Brennan's sermons are online. Yeah, there's more than 1,500 1, of his sermons surviving today. And he's still super popular in Africa. He's st- his message is still being taught. It's mental. So listen to this. Here's, here's him uh, preaching about, uh, about women. Notice in this creation she was in. Not in the original, but a byproduct. And in this creation, there is... Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I want to tell you the truth, and you just sit still, you're doing nice. There is nothing designed to be so deceitful as a woman. It's deceitful. There cannot be nothing else. There's nothing made to be that way. Also, there is nothing that can be so easily deceived as a woman. And like women in the now, audience the are like, yeah. the proves this statement to be true. Amen. The Amen. The beginning. She was not in the original beginning creation. She was in Adam. But That's... not in a female. That is one thing he keeps going into is that... Uh, she, women are a byproduct of man, so they're not part of the original creation. And he, he goes into that. I think there's a really funny part, though, in here. She is designed that way. She is designed to do this. There is no hog, no dog, or no other animal designed like her or can stoop as low as she can stoop. 
That is true. Yes. Amen. With regards to my sisters. With regards to his sisters uh, who are beneath animals, animals such as like hogs and dogs. And dogs. <laughs> yeah. What a cunt. Yeah. But he was super popular. Uh, his... Insanely popular. And people agreed with it. Women agreed with him. Yeah. His sermons also laid the foundations that black people are an inferior race. In one of his most famous sermons, he taught the, that the biblical serpent that had sex with Eve, this resulted in two bloodlines. One of them's good and one of them's bad. And I think you know which one he's implying that is bad. He even went a step further saying that the two bloodlines should not mix and create what he called hybrids. He was definitely against interracial relationships. But what's interesting is uh, this is called the doctrine of the serpent seed. It is a thing, yeah. It's also known as the dual seed or the two-seed line doctrine, and it's a controversial and fringe Christian religious belief which explains the biblical account of the fall of man by stating that the serpent had sex with Eve in the Garden of Eden. So she went out because she's a deceitful being, and she fucked Satan in the form of a serpent, and the offspring was Cain, who is the original murderer. So this event resulted in the creation of two races of people. There's the wicked descendants of the serpent who are destined for damnation and hell. And then there's the righteous descendants of Adam who are destined to have an eternal life. And so in their opinion, human history is framed as a conflict between these two races. So during like the 19th century, this serpent seed doctrine was revived by American religious leaders, just like Branham to promote white supremacy. And so the teachers of Christian identity theology, which branched off from what we talked about last week, British Israelism, promoted this within the KKK, the Aryan nations, the American Nazi party. And so they used the serpent seed doctrine to justify anti-Semitic beliefs and racism by claiming that Jews or members of all non-white races are descendants of Cain. And that the serpent, who's Satan, um, lived before Adam and Eve. So they're from a different race. They're just a subhuman race. Like Jews and black people and all non-white mm-hmm. races are subhuman. And so they claim that, they, that Jews have no souls because they're descended from animals, and same with black people, and are predestined for damnation. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy that people could even believe this, yet they still teach it to this day. They do teach it. And I mean, the Kardashians believe this. They were funding this, this ideology. Well, it's not I, like William Brennan wasn't preaching it. Okay, well, Tato's, Tom Kardashian, her great-grandfather might have believed it at the time. I don't think Kim Kardashian is going out, you know, in, Oh, in, no, no, in not now. The, she's not, su- she's not supporting dual William dual seed serpent theory. But they do believe, and, and William Brennan believed this, that in the end of days... There will be a final battle between the pure race and the impure race, and the pure race will prevail. Okay. Okay, Charlie Munson. <laughs> so if you think sh- women also shouldn't go to school, well, Billy taught that, uh, that neither anyone of the black ra- race, they had no business reading, writing, or any use for arithmetic. Uh, he slammed civil rights activists, people like M- MLK Jr. and JFK especially. He particularly hated John Fitzgerald, saying that he was indeed the Antichrist. 
William also had connections to the Laterine, also known as the New Order. No, not the Ron Ashton band, sadly. Or the New Order of the Laterine, which they were a cult, and they're part of the neo-Pentecostal movement. Yeah, they definitely were a cult. Completely. They're not only directly influenced by Billy Branham, so in November of 1943, after they had heard his speech in Vancouver, it's also deeply influenced by... British Israelism, the cult which started in the Sharon Orphanage in um, Saskatchewan by Roman A. Haas. Canada soon spread throughout the Americas and they participated in daily fasting and prayers. Very militant. When the cult was first beginning, William continued to mentor leaders of it. He was teaching them very unusual and very racist practices. One such teaching was that those imparted with the spirit of God could move objects in the room. Some of the ministers at the orphanage began to practice his magic, claiming that they too were able to make objects move. Like It's like the fucking movie Carrie here. So wait a second, was Jesus telekinetic? Apparently so, if you're Billy Branham. I had no idea. By the 1950s, his teachings would kind of stray from the latter reign and they would form a new sect, one that the Reverend Jimmy Jones was hugely influenced by, and we talked all about that last week. The Gospel International boasts of being one of the largest Christian business organizations in the world. So it was founded in 1952. We are in 142 nations, meeting in over 7,000 chapters. Our members and leaders include every race, culture, social status, and language. Funny how they're not boasting about how they supported the KKK. Yeah, they seem to purposely omit one detail. (laughs) It had small beginnings. It was one small chapter of businessmen meeting at Clifton's Cafeteria in Los Angeles, but it's soon going to spread across the states, and it caught the attention of people such as Vice President Richard Nixon at the time. You know, Clifton's Cafeteria is still around to this day. It's a bar now. They kind of removed yeah. the area that, that there's a cafeteria. But when I, when I first moved here, Clifton's was still a functional cafeteria, and oh, you can cool. go, yeah, you can go, you can go there and get like buffet style cafeteria food. Um, but then they, these, I don't know, these hip LA entrepreneur guys bought it and then they sort of renovated the whole thing. So now it's like multi-levels, but it's, it's a cool looking bar. The only problem is that since the pandemic, it became this like really hip club with like a $25 entrance fee. Oh, shit. Yeah. It used to just be a really cool bar with like tax, they had a taxidermy buffalo in there. Oh, nice. Yeah. We'll go one day, probably. If we want to stand in the queue and pay 25 bucks. I love doing that. Don't you? (laughs) Some of your favorite things to do. They love to do that in LA. So this outfit became international in the 60s when more than 400 members and their families, they filled free jets to London. And from there, they made their way around Europe, establishing chapters. They even flew into Vietnam during the Tet Offensive to establish connections. These are rich people, rich and powerful. During the 1980s, there were 2,646 chapters around the world, but they had an estimated 700,000 people meeting regularly. Today, it has about 10,000 chapters. In the 80s, despite the fact that it's apparently non-profit, it became involved in a bitter scandal over mishandled funds. Damus was 75 at the time in 1987, and he had suffered a stroke three years previously in 84. Inland Revenue reported that from 1981 to 1987, $276,000 disappeared into his pocket. The total included 
$168,000 in unauthorized insurance and liability-related costs, and, you know, $107,000 in travel and entertainment purposes. Yeah, there's that's a bit suspicious. <laughs> uh-huh. He defended himself by saying, but what's my time worth? I contributed millions over the years and I've never taken a dime in salary in the 37 years I've headed this organization. Yeah, Deimos, because you've been fleecing them for 37 years, probably. That's why you've never taken a salary. Uh, he did step down eventually because he died. And now in charge is his son and Kardashian cousin, Richard. Although he's not as popular, it still continues on. And it's still because, you know, they're related to him. It promotes the racist message of William Brannan. And it got its start with this healing revival. In fact, millions of Af Americans and Africans are members of the Message Church to this day. It's also known as the Message Cult. And they are a collection of like kind of subcults that have spread the extreme white supremacist and misogynistic attitudes. We were saying this before. Billy had the smart idea to record his sermons, something Jim Jones would steal as well. And as of today, there's around one and a half thousand surviving sermons, starting from early as 1947 until his death. It is crazy how widespread his teachings are, even to this day. Now, I mean, they can be found around the world. Um, he claims to have made over one million converts during his campaign meetings. And so in 1986, Maybe he did. I mean, he, yeah. pro he probably did, actually. I mean, he was like, I mean, he was very famous and very influential. And in 1986, there were an estimated 300,000 followers. So, I mean, Brennan was, a, was definitely older at this point. I mean, he had been, you know, preaching since the 50s. Oh, he's it, dead in 1960. He dies in the 60s. Yeah, so he died in the 60s, when, uh, but I mean, he had been preaching since the 50s, yet his message lived on for this long. Still today, to yeah. yeah, but by three hundred thousand people were following the message of this dead preacher who had been <laughs> dead for twenty years at this point. In two thousand, the William Branham Evangelical Association had missions on every inhabited continent. They get around sixteen hundred churches in Latin America and missions growing across Africa, and it's the the website Voice of God Recordings. Um, Sir Bren related support material. That's where I got the clip in the beginning, as well as yeah. that clip we just listened to uh, about women. Um, they have like the the um, you know a PDF version of the entire um, the entire sermon, as well as recordings. Yeah, I um, read through a fair few of his yeah, sermons. Going back decades, it's it's amazing to me that that he can still be influential years after his death. Well, it's not when you think about there are a lot of racists out there who don't believe that women should have rights <laughs> and that's just what people want to believe we were saying that billy died uh, so he died quickly while on a trip to arizona his car was hit head-on by a drunken driver so despite having the spirit of god he couldn't predict that a man full of literal spirits would careen across his path yeah. <laughs> Bradham, who led a doomsday cult the message is a doomsday cult he didn't lead his followers to their own deaths instead he lay in a coma for six days and on christmas eve 1965 he passed away yeah, he, he had many prophecies while he was living, but he didn't prophesize his own death. He did um, not. But there was a lot of confusion right after he died, though. And uh, many of his followers thought he were just waiting for him to rise from the dead. I bet. Yeah. His son, Billy, um, seemed to expect his father's resurrection at any point. And uh, he would, and, you know, he would preach that to his followers and uh, his followers would message him saying, when's he coming? And he communicated that it was Easter 1966, that he's going to be back. 
but that never happened. So then he thought, well, it's going to be in the 70s. He's going to come back right before the rapture that was occurring in 1977, which is what um, Branham preached because it's a doomsday cult. He said the world will end 1977. So... Branham felt that, and he had many prophecies and many predictions, um, Mm -hmm. and most of them didn't come true. But in 1964, (laughs) he said God's judgment is going to strike the West Coast of the United States and that Los Angeles would sink into the ocean because it's a den of iniquity. Um, That never happened. So following following that, he was like, well, actually, you know, the entire United States is going to be destroyed. Following the rapture, that's going to happen in 1977. And that's going to be preceded by various worldwide disasters. Well, 1977 came and went. And uh, yeah, nothing actually happened. world was not destroyed. In fact, his message was so widely circulated and well-known that Time Magazine uh, included the failed prediction as one of the top 10 end-of-the-world prophecies. So after, after 1977, a lot of his followers were like, you know what? I think we're done with this whole doomsday cult thing. But then, you know, there's still across Europe, Latin America and Africa, people still maintain and follow the the message of William Branham. I don't I just don't understand doomsday cults. Like what is it like to me it's like if you want to kill yourself, just kill yourself. You don't need to have a reason. Just do it. You know what I mean? You don't have to say, Oh, we're all going to die. It's going to be revolutionary. It's a doomsday. You know what I mean? It's just a very suicidal form of view to me. What I don't get about doomsday cults is like, okay, so you have your cult leader. Sure, you're going to be like, I'm going to get ready for the rapture, live the best life I can possibly be, and praise Jesus, and I'm going to go straight to heaven on April 15th, 1977. Doesn't happen. April 16th. Why do you continue believing this guy? That's the thing I don't get. You know, uh, if you look at the Seventh-day Adventist religion, that, I forget the name of the founder, but that guy predicted the end of the world like four times, and they still keep following him. There's still Seventh-day Adventist churches out there. Yeah, you know, like I have some relatives in California who are Seventh-day Adventists, Yeah, and that, it blows my mind. Like, Just the idea of a doomsday blows my mind that somebody would just have the ego inside of them to say, I know when the world will end. It's like, no, you fucking don't. We don't even know how the world began, you dipshit. Well, you think you're dim-witted to follow a person like that, but you're even more dim-witted to follow him after he's proven wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but they do. So Billy was actually ostracized by much of the Pentecostal world uh, because of his viewpoints, but they were shaken by his sudden death. Deimos wrote, Reverend Brannan often made the statement that the only fellowship to which he would belong to was ours, the gospel businessman. Often while called up to speak at various conventions and chapter meetings, he had traveled long distances to keep those engagements. His spirit of service was an inspiration. So yes, Deimos, his spirit of service, which not only fueled racism and misogyny via his message cult, which was also deeply connected to white supremacists. Billy's first pastor... And in fact, his lifelong mentor was Roy E. Davis, also a man who was kept in the pocket of the Kardashian clan at the time. Roy Alonzo Davis. uh, So when I first heard this, I was like, oh, Alonzo. It sounds Latin, doesn't it? I thought it was Latin. It's not. It's Germanic. It means ready to battle. It means ready to battle. I never knew that. It does sound like Alfonso or something. 
Yeah, because I thought, oh, it's really funny that a white supremacist uh, has Latin roots. But no, he's a uh, Germanic. And obviously Davis is as fucking Welsh as you can get. Very, da- very Welsh. But he's born in El Paso, Texas, April the 24th, 1890. In 1912, at age 22, he was traveling regularly. He's preaching as a Christian minister. He's connected to the Baptist Ministry Association. And it was around this time that he began his first uh, swindle. As he was traveling preaching, he began selling electro-galvanic rings, which he claimed would cure rheumatism. And that kind of reminds me of those stupid copper bracelets, you know, that you can buy out of stupid, like, old people magazines. You know what I mean? But those are the ones with, with like, uh, you know, I'm allergic to uh, penicillin. No, no, it's like a copper bracelet, like nearly like a bangle. And people wear them and say like, oh, yeah, it helps me with my rheumatism. There's no way that a copper bracelet would help anything to do with rheumatism. It's just people have been swindled by an old people magazine. So that's what he's doing. I like how he was just traveling around with this box of electro-galvanic cock rings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Could bought them from my company. After numerous complaints held against him, charges were filed and he was booked, sent to jail. But the judge set his bond and he was freed. He was eventually given a bit of a slap on the wrist. But this is just the first in a lifelong cheating and swindling crime spree. I mean, this this guy was a repeat felon, especially for being a minister. You have to question his moral compass. This guy. I mean, same with Branham. Branham was fully associated with these guys. Branham also ran into a lot of financial issues and was sued for fraud as well. So, I mean, it's like these guys who claim that they're so sanctimonious and, you know, holy, they're men of uh, men of virtue and men of God. But look at look at the lifestyle that they led. Yeah, I mean, they all do it. They were all up to it. I mean, Jim Jones was taking pretty much all of his followers cash. And they say that by the time. Jim Jones died and everyone died there. He had over 30 million in the bank. Yeah. Where's that money come from? You know? I wonder what happened to that money, actually. I think a lot of it did go, get returned, but a lot of it also, Good. they made that huge memorial and transporting all the bodies back. That took a chunk of change. But you can look into it. It is on the Jonestown website because I've read about it. In 1916, he went on a forgery crime spree with his brothers, and they were acting kind of like an outlaw gang. Roy would walk into a bank. He's dressed in his minister's garb, and he's asking them to cash a fraudulent check that one of his brothers would have set up by pretending that he was a business owner, and he's simply making a donation to Roy's ministry. They frauded multiple banks, but the law was hot on their heels, and Roy, feeling the heat, he abandoned his Texas life, including his wife and three children. He's like, see you later, bitch. And he fled to Georgia, where he took the alias of Lon Davis. So there's big thinking that Lon. Uh, and he even married another woman, and he set up his new life as a traveling evangelicist. Oh, so he was a, he, he was a bigamist, as well as being a complete repeat felon. Yeah. He pastored multiple churches in Georgia under his new name, including a church in um, Ackworth, which was, but he was removed from the congregation for conduct unbecoming of a minister. <laughs> Make of that what you will, but you know, I think it was diddling. He was after this young girls, probably. The law's going to catch up with him in May of 1917 after he was recognized by a woman that remembered him from Texas. And she was so upset that this so-called man of God had abandoned his wife and children, was now even remarried and had more children. 
He's sent back to the Lone Star State where he was convicted on swindling and forgery charges and he got a two-year jail sentence on June the 29th, 1917. Yeah, I don't so think he's... polygamy is okay in the Pentecostal religion, is it? It is not. I don't know. They're not bigamists, are they? No, polygamous. That's what I'm saying. Bigamous, bigamy is definitely against uh, the teachings of God, but polygamy... Yeah. You know, Mormons are cool with it, but I don't think Pentecostal Christians were ever cool with polygamy, having more than one wife. He's released in January of 1919, and he returned to Georgia, and he continued preaching as Lon Davis. (laughs) The con is still on. He pretended to be a Christian ministry uh, missionary bound for Egypt. And he's going to swindle the good people of the church out of their purse strings. And he rose up through the ranks and he was eventually offered pastorship of the Ackworth Baptist Church one year later. It was during his time here as pastor that he started publishing a newsletter called The Progress. And it mainly focused on exposing the underbelly of the seedy Catholic church. Proving that a racist leopard never changes his whitehood, he had paid for his printing press using a bad check, so he's essentially stealing £1,000 from the seller. Once a swindler, always a swindler. Also unknown to his flock and local community was that he was holding his clandestine KKK meetings inside of the church. Nobody except those inside the clan knew that he was a lifelong KKK member. And according to Roy, he was one of the founding members of the William J. Simmons revival of the KKK. This is generally considered the second wave of the hate group. And the 1920s was a high point for the clan in many ways. And being a recruiter like um, Ron is was a lucrative business. Roy, sorry, Ron. Ron. And he was a, Roy was a very successful recruiter as well. So, I think at this point, it's interesting to point out the difference between the first, second, and third wave of the KKK. So the Klan's first incarnation was in 1865 by veterans of the Confederate Army. Its main purpose was to resist Reconstruction and the whole Reconstructionist movement. And it focused on intimidating the carpetbaggers and the scallywags (laughs) as I'm putting down, like, you know, putting down the freed slaves. And they adopted violent methods, you know, um... But they were disorganized. There was no real leadership with this clan. It wasn't a political movement by any situation. It was a bunch of disparate groups of just very racist people. And so a reaction immediately set in. Um, and uh, the Southern elites would see the clans as an excuse for federal troops to continue their activities in the South. So people turned against them. People were definitely very against the clan initially. And so they declined in popularity from, you know, 1860s to 1870. And it was pretty much destroyed in the early 1870s by President Ulysses S. Grant's vigorous action under the Civil Rights Act of 1871, also known as the Ku Klux Klan Act. So he pretty much wiped out that first generation of the KKK. And then a few decades later, it kind of came back, but with a vengeance in 1915, and this is the second wave, and this is what involving William J. Simmons and Roy Davis. So there are a couple things that happened during this period that really propelled the KKK back into uh, national consciousness. So there is a film called The Birth of a Nation and an inflammatory anti-Semitic newspaper account surrounding the trial lynching of an accused murderer, Leo Frank, who happened to be a Jew. Okay. So The Birth of a Nation which was originally called The Klansman, is a 1915 American silent epic drama directed by D.W. Griffith. 
And the screenplay is adapted from Thomas Dixon Jr.'s 1905 novel and play, The Klansman. What's interesting about this movie, and actually I didn't know this, so I was reading about it, because I've heard of it, I've never actually watched it. I've seen clips on, you can, you can watch parts of it on YouTube. Yeah, it was groundbreaking. But it was. It was a landmark of film history. You're lauded for its technical virtuosity, especially at the time. It's the first non-serial American 12-year-old film ever made. Um, it pioneered close-ups and fade-outs, which no one did at the time. Um, and it includes a carefully staged battle sequence with hundreds of extras, another first, made to look like thousands. And, it, and if you went to see the movie in a theater, you got a 13-page souvenir program, which I imagine is worth quite a pretty penny to this day. Oh, yeah. Uh, Birth of a Nation was also the first motion picture to be screened inside the White House, viewed by uh, President Woodrow Wilson and his family and members of his cabinet. Woodrow Wilson was quite the fan of the film. Uh, well, he's a racist fucker anyways. You want to know a, another fun fact about this film? So this film is also, somebody got named in honor of this film. Do you know who that person was? Who? Forrest Gump. <laughs> I thought you were banned from ma- making Forrest Gump references. I am allowed to make as many Forrest Gump references as I like. But um, yeah, because is it General Forrest E. Lee? In the film, and he's named for general. It's like a you know a funny Forrest Gump joke that he's named after a very racist cunt. <laughs> well, so the plot, which is part fiction, part history, chronicles the assassination of uh, Abraham Lincoln by John Wilkes Booth and the relationship of two families in the Civil War and the Reconstruction era over the course of several years. The pro-Union Northern Stonemans and the pro-Confederacy, the Southern, the Camerons. So I wonder if uh, Forrest Lee was a Cameron, I'm assuming. I think he was, yeah. The film has been denounced for its racist depiction of African Americans. Uh, it portrays its black characters, who are actually played by white actors in blackface, um, as unintelligent and sexually aggressive towards white women. And the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, is a heroic force that rose up against these, these animals uh, to uh, preserve American values and protect white women and maintain white supremacy. The and South it was a very, very popular film amongst white audiences nationwide. And it was a contributor of racial segregation across the U.S. I mean, it created a nationwide craze for the Klan. Like in the late 19, like the early 1920s, you know, mm-hmm. late um, around 1916, 1918, it was the Klan was huge. At a preview in L.A. for the film, like uh, at their premiere, they had actors dressed as Klansmen, Klansmen riding by on horses as a promotional stunt. And real life members of the newly reorganized Klan rode up and down the street at its later official premiere in Atlanta. In some cases, there were enthusiastic Southern fans firing guns into oh, the screen you. of the film. <laughs> <laughs> there so, you go. So American. <laughs> now, that same year, in 1915, when uh, Birth of a Nation came out, uh, there was another media account of the lynching of Leo Frank, a Jewish factory manager. And so the media claimed that Frank... Uh, was uh, was a rapist and a rapist and a murderer of a young woman named Mary Fagan, who's a girl employed at his factory. Uh, the governor at the time, because it was a sensational trial, everyone was following it. The media depicted this guy as this you know Jewish rapist. 
The governor ended up, due to lack of evidence, commuted his sentence to life imprisonment. But a mob, calling itself the Knights of Mary Fagan, who are pretty much uh, part of the uh, second rising of the KKK, they kidnapped uh, Leo Frank from the prison and uh, lynched him. And ironically, most, most of the evidence of the murder actually pointed to the factory's black janitor, Jim Conley, but the prosecution claimed that, well, he just helped Frank dispose of the body. He wasn't involved in the raping and the murder. But wow. most Southerners believe Frank was guilty. And there was a strong resonance between the Frank trial and the Birth of the Nation film because they saw an analogy between, you know, innocent white Mary Fagan and the film's character, Flora, a young virgin who throws herself off a cliff to avoid being raped by a black character named Gus. So there is definitely direct parallels here. So the new Klan was inaugurated Thanksgiving Eve, November 25th, 1915, at a meeting led by Methodist preacher William J. Simmons on top of Stone Mountain. And it was attended by aging members of the original Klan, the first wave Klan, along with members of the Knights of Mary Fagan, the ones who so valiantly lynched that poor Jewish man. Um, I think we mentioned Stone Mountain a while ago, but Stone Mountain is this monument in uh, Georgia. It's kind of by Atlanta. And it has, it, I mean, it's huge. It's like 800 feet tall, about a mile and a half wide. And on one side of it depicts three legendary leaders of the Confederacy, etched in stone, Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, Jefferson Davis. And millions of visitors come there you know, every year to go check it out. Not to mention the KKK and other neo-Nazi groups have rallies. You know, revivals there. They have revivals. They have, like, you know, barbecues and events there. Um, they're I definitely wonder what trying... July 4th is like there. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? It's well, terrible. Stone Mountain's part of a heated national debate about Confederate flags and monuments. But they haven't been able to... Uh, I, I thought they were going to dynamite the, the Confederate leaders there, you know, right off the side of that mountain. I'm really surprised that has not happened yet. Or like no, like a splinter group, or like I don't know, the Black Panthers didn't try to blow it up. I'm surprised no one's tried to like deface it with like graffiti or something, like eat a dick or something. It must be watched. You've got to think there's going to be security there. Just hooded security guards just following yes. it. Um, <laughs> so guns. the second KKK, which was established in 1915, was a formal membership organization. They had a national and a state structure. They paid thousands of men to organize in local chapters all over the country. And millions joined. Millions. Yeah. And at its peak in the 1920s, the organization included about 15% of the nation's eligible population. They preached racism, anti-Catholicism, anti-communism, anti-Semitism, and many local groups took part in lynchings and other violent activities. The popularity fell during the Great Depression, and membership being fell further during World War II because many KKK members supported the Nazis, not yeah. surprisingly. Now, the third wave of the KKK was after World War II, came around the South during the civil rights era of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, these new members, along with the 1920s second wave Kluxers, uh, fought school desegregation and the movement to give blacks equal rights. So like the original Klan, this third incarnation was also pretty violent. Um, they were responsible for a major portion of the assaults, killings, bombings, flogging, other acts of racial intimidation throughout the first years of the 1960s. 
You remember that famous photograph of that guy who dumps a ton of acid in the pool? It's like a pool. It's a prize winning. Yeah. Was that in Alabama? That guy turned. Yeah, I think it was in Alabama. That guy turned out to be a Klansman. (sighs) Not surprised. But there you go, though. I mean, there's three waves of the KKK, and the KKK is still active to this day. Yeah, we're going to get more into the numbers. Also unknown to the community was that Imperial Wizard Simmons had appointed Roy as the official spokesperson for the KKK, and his main acts were organizing new chapters, upholding the KKK constitution, and kind of creating new bylaws and rituals within the group. So he's changing the KKK. Members of the church, they did read his newsletter, and they're upset by the content, and this led to some of the members of the church investigating their pastor. A local journal uncovered that he had been organizing KKK groups at Baptist churches in multiple other cities in Georgia and um, South Carolina. When the article hit the streets, well, so did Roy. He upped and left Georgia, but this time he took his wife, he took his five-year-old daughter. He probably actually likes his family. Oklahoma welcomed them with open arms, and here he would continue to hold revival and KKK meetings. Although he's never not going to live in Georgia full-time again, this didn't stop him from returning there, and he also went to Arkansas, Missouri, Texas, Louisiana, and South Carolina on a kind of racist rampage, and he's holding rallies and meetings to recruit members into the KKK. He bragged he was so successful that there were at least 90,000 members in Oklahoma and Texas. Amongst those members were governors, congressmen, and senators, and he said wherever you approve or disapprove the clan is here to stay so you better watch your step that sounds he's very very sassy because recruiters got to keep a percentage of the membership fees roy was fucking rolling in it he was also rolling again in muck as he was connected to a burglary case out in waco texas in 1922 and he was accused of stealing firearms from united states marshals in a 1923 sting operation about organized crime in louisiana to paraphrase John Fante, 1923 was a bad year for Davis. His new publication, a newspaper called The Brickbat, called for violence against those that opposed the KKK vocally, and violence did ensue, and he was arrested and charged with criminal libel on June the 24th. I don't understand how any Christian with a conscience could, could follow this guy. Well, Christians aren't meant to teach fucking violence, aren't they? Isn't like Jesus meant to be like a real sweetheart and you're all supposed to be kind to your neighbor and all that bullshit? Well, I guess you're violent towards a heathen when someone turns against the word of God. And apparently the word of God is support the KKK. Yeah, um, so people. the brick bat was a lightning rod and stirred tensions in these communities. Uh, the articles that, that Roy Davis wrote and other contributors publicly degraded and attacked any KKK opponent. They called for boycotts of unsupported businesses. And in, in May 1923, Davis personally instigated physical violence against two business owners and he targeted his publication. And they were involved in, in several altercations with KKK members. It kind of reminds me of like Crystal Nacht and, you know, you're going to have to put a star David in your shop and people are going to spit on it as they walk past type of thing. But I, w- I w- looked through like PDFs of a couple of these pamphlets and I could see why people in- enjoyed them at the time. Like they're just really well laid out and very well written. Yeah. 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 
It was this arrest uh, that revealed his two identities because up until this point, he had also been president of the Georgia Farmers Union. He's a man of many hats, and many of them are white and really racist. And after his last arrest, the abandoning of his Texas family, his criminal activities across multiple states, his illegal marriage, his dodgy pastorships, and finally his involvement with the KKK, it's all publicly revealed. The Georgia's Farmers Union, they held a public meeting to basically cancel him. They're going to cancel Roy Davis. Uh, Cancel culture is apparently old as time. But in this case, it's totally justified. And Roy ran back to Texas with his tail in between his legs. He was actually caught with one of his brothers by angry vigilantes. And they're beaten with a wet rope. His brother was beaten so badly that he's hospitalized with severe injuries. Ooh, I never knew a wet rope could hurt that bad, but sounds painful. Klansmen themselves actually might have carried out this beating, justified as it was. He had been ousted when new Grand Wizard uh, Hiram W. Evans took over from William Simmons. Hiram turned the clan around from violence and instead they focused on seeking political power using the group. Yeah, They're Hiram kind of... was a bit of an intellectual leader there. Um Probably and an ugly a, fucker. Yeah, probably a bit more evil than the uh, the ones just beating other uh, you know people against opponents of the KKK with a wet rope. We're obviously going to put pictures of all these people up, but like he, they're just so fucking silly. Sat there in all their stupid fucking garb on the, Wikipedia. But you look at their faces; they kind of look unevolved. Totally. You know they do. They're both butthurt about their rejection from this boys' club, so they started a new clan together, uh, you know, which is like a subsect. Because like, p- the thing about the KKK is you can have many subsects within the KKK where you've got like a splinter group, but you still follow the KKK. And they're called Knights of the Flaming Sword. Roy was... I will give the KKK this. They do know how to name their shit. Yeah, like you know, calling yourself Grand Wizard and stuff and like Imperial Wizard is all pretty cool. Yeah, I gotta say, they, they definitely, it's very Dungeons and Dragons. It's totally, it is very Dungeons and Dragons-y. It's a, nearly cringe nerdy, but at the same time, you're like, oh, I wish I was a dragon. I wish somebody <laughs> would refer to me as like a grand dragon. Roy is still really popular amongst his fellow Drugs, and 60,000 pledged their allegiance, and he helped net at least 2 million in today's money for his new cause. You so know, he has a following. I'm surprised that, you know, Simmons and Roy and the Knights of the Flaming Sword didn't take on Hiram Evans and the other KKK groups. Like, almost like a Royal Rumble kind of, you know, West Side Story kind yeah. of thing. Well, Racist I think that does story. happen. <laughs> I think, like, from what I was reading, it did happen where other KKK groups, like, they would all have, like, kind of infights. But at the end of the day, they're all wanting to achieve the same thing, and there is a hierarchy to it. So they're not wanting to, like disrupt that kind of hierarchy it's not necessarily a godfather situation where someone's like i'm gonna kill you so i can become the grand wizard but it's like they want to move up to get to that point and i'm sure there were like mediators are just like oh come on you hate jews we hate jews you hate black people we (laughs) hate black people you know this is what men do when they don't have hobbies they just think (laughs) let's go join the kkk when it's like i don't know why don't you go learn how to ice skate Instead, I don't get it. He's still holding revival too. And when the new clan folded due to problems with funding, because yeah, where's that money going, Roy? You've got two million, but they're folding because of funding. He really went deep into Pentecostal beliefs. 
1930, he moved to Jeffersonville, Indiana, which is going to end up being a very important location. He was 40 when he abandoned his family for a 17-year-old girl named Ali Lee Garrison. During the middle of his sermon, local law actually bust in and arrested him for living with her for immoral purposes. He gets sicker, though. He claimed to beat the Man Act charges that were brought against him in the grand jury, uh, that he had transported a minor across state lines, that he had been actually fostering her for six years. So the Man Act, it makes it legal to transport a minor across state lines. But what Roy Davis said, he fought the charges and he's like, well, I'm actually the foster father of this teenage girl that I'm banging. And he claimed to have lived with her for six years. How creepy is that? It's pedophilic. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, look at Jerry Lee Lewis, though. In Jerry Lee's uh, defense, I will say it was different times. <laughs> but his <laughs> wife, she came out and, you know, she's talked about it and she didn't want cancel culture to happen to Jerry Lee. So I think it's a different thing. It's like when people slag off Priscilla. Like at no point has Priscilla said a horrible word about Elvis. It just was different times. And you know what? Who didn't fucking fuck someone when they were 15? I was fucking when I was 15. And I was fucking all older men. That's why I don't think there's an issue with Leonardo DiCaprio and his dating proclivities. I don't think there is an issue there either. (laughs) I mean, who wouldn't want to shag Leonardo DiCaprio and his bank account? I wonder if if Leo uses that offense. Well, I'm the foster father of this 17-year-old girl, (laughs) okay? Of this model from Brazil that no one's talked about. This Brazilian model. Yeah, that can barely speak English. But, you know, we've got the love language. (laughs) Over 60 of his followers, they're mainly women, they attend the court dates to plead for their pastor. He's eventually released, and he marries her in a bungled and rushed Mexican wedding. Back in Jeffersonville, while he was still recruiting for the KKK, he's holding revivals and broadcasts. He appoints William Brannan as leader of his Pentecostal Baptist church. I do think it's funny how he you know, kind of failed as a KKK leader. So he becomes a Pentecostal leader. And, you That's know, his he, backup. Yeah, he, he planted his first Pentecostal Baptist church in Nashville, Tennessee, but then moved it to Louisville, Kentucky, and then moved it to, to Jeffersonville, Indiana, where he declared it as the national headquarters of the denomination. And so he began in Jeffersonville by holding healing meetings at a tent revival and publishing advertisements in local newspapers. And it was there that he brought on William Brannan as the leader of the Pentecostal Baptist Church. Uh, William himself, he actually had lifelong connections to the KKK. And you know what? I'm sure a lot of people had lifelong connections to the KKK. When Prohibition had disrupted the liquor industry in the local area, Billy's family became destitute because his father had been a driver for the distilleries. Now he's on the underground. He's arrested for violation of the liquor laws. And this is only increasing their poverty by this point. I bet they ate a lot of dandelion salads. During this time, William's in hospital after he'd been accidentally shot in both legs when he was 14 years old. He was late to say it was a hunting accident, but, you know, you got to print the William myth. The family was so poor that the KKK footed the hospital bill, and obviously they were like kind of like knights in shining armor to a 14-year-old who had fuck all, he's come from fuck all, and he's looking at a future of much of the same thing. He later said in a sermon, we didn't even have food to eat in the house, so how could we pay a hospital bill for hundreds of dollars? But she, through her church society and the Ku Klux Klan, paid the hospital bill for me. 
It was Davis who had baptized Brannon to begin with and the first to teach him about Christian identity. William was part of Roy's inner circle and he was also involved in his criminal activities as well. Roy would fund Billy's first tent revival meetings and he even went as far as to drink sulfuric acids during a sermon to prove that the spirit of God was there. It was in the tent with you as he's like froming and foffing at the mouth. It's got to do something to the throat. Um, oh, yeah. So we've, we've thrown around the term Christian identity quite a bit, but let me just define it here. So Christian identity yeah. is a religious ideology, very popular amongst the KKK, neo-Nazis, and other extreme right-wing circles. They believe, much like the British Israelism, but they believe that whites of European descent can be traced back to the lost tribes of Israel. Many consider Jews to be the satanic <laughs> offspring of Eve and the serpent, um, while non-whites are mud people that were created oh before Adam and Eve. Um, Christian identity promotes this idea that all the mud people, the non-whites, anyone who is not of a you know, white, holy European descent, will either be exterminated or enslaved in order to serve the white race in the new heavenly kingdom on, on earth under the reign of Jesus Christ. And Stockton I- states that only the Adamic... Adamic, white people can achieve salvation and enter paradise. So I know this is like all very Old Testament, but it's New Testament too when they're bringing in Jesus. So at what point is Jesus like saying only European whites, of which also Jesus wasn't a European white, is going is to get into heaven? Like, oh, who the fuck is believing this? Well, that's the thing. Jesus never said that. It's not in the Bible. It's these people who are interpreting that way. Because that's the thing. Christian identity is not an organized religion. And it's not even affiliated with any specific Christian denomination. It's a theology. It's a racial interpretation of Christianity that's used by these racist people to achieve their own ends. So it's, you know, anti-Semitic. It's virulently racist. And it's, you know, and it's usually accompanied by extreme anti-government sentiments, but it's used to preach to people who believe in the KKK. I mean, if you're already a racist, all this will do is just, you know, Back foment up. your uh, belief system. Gives you a way to justify it. In 1937, a flood demolished the town of Jeffersonville. This was a once thriving town. It was nicknamed Little Vegas. Uh, People might know it from Al Capone and John Dillinger. They once held refuge there, like lots of times. It was leveled to a desolate wasteland. Both Billy and Roy had to move on, but they're going to call back to this flood. They're going to make it biblical scripture in their sermons forevermore. Uh, and I was when I was reading through a lot of Billy scripts, he uses this town of Jeffersonville as a kind of like nearly like this is hell. This is what happens oh. if immoral people uh, don't believe in you. So it's like a Sodom Gomorrah kind of thing. Yeah. By 1944, the biggest grift of Roy's career was about to occur. Under the watchful eye of the FBI, he had teamed up with former Congressman William David Upshaw. Although never outright proven to be a member of the clan, there is little to no doubt that he was one, uh, hence how he knew Roy. As reported in the Los Angeles Times, Roy posed as a federal agent in an attempt to persuade wealthy donors to contribute to a fake orphanage that he and Upshaw had started under the guise of the church. This is like real low shit. William and his wife, they pretended to be helpful contributors in the scam, with the job title being head of the Department of Americanization. 
Americanization is a term frequently used by the KKK to describe the Klan's view of a pure or true version of America. Well, you're going to become Americanized in a few weeks from now <laughs> when you move here. <laughs> he is hoping. <laughs> the criminal trial that followed was huge, especially in the California area, where most certainly the Kardashians were reading the news after many years spent funding William and Clem Davis, uh, Davis and probably Roy too, if the paper chain falls that way. Well, I mean, they funded so much money. William was the, uh, the leader of the Pentecostal church. Kardashians are funding William. So they must be in turn funding Roy. Yeah, who's fun? Yeah, they're funding the KKK indirectly. There's no doubt about it. Money talks and money walks, and they were both declared innocent of all charges. And they just basically roared on back down to Texas. It was here that Roy introduced his best mate Billy to his new best mate William Upshaw, and William would also partake in healing ceremonies and be healed by Brannon. This was the beginning of the third wave of the Ku Klux Klan, and it's also where Clem Davies would uh, step into this racist circus. We did talk about uh, Clem in part one, but I'm going to give you a little bit of background about him. Uh, he preached British Israelism, and his sermons are very similar to Billy's. His message was militant. He's totally against organized religion. He was based in Victoria, British Columbia, um, Canada, but his congregation like really quickly outgrew his temple. The audience ate up his scandalous sermons that included uh, very frank discussions on sex, that's something Jim Jones would steal, race, bloodlines, and also talk of the serpent seed, very similar to William Brannan's. He would preach about the KKK, and he would cold recruitment drives to them too, probably pocketing the cash. He was also pocketing the cash from the Kardashians, uh, and that's when he joined up with them during their public conventions and tour that he did with Avak the Great and Billy in 1947. Billy's at the top of the revival circuit. We talked about that as well. It was during this time that the civil rights movement was growing and Billy began leaning heavily on his KKK roots. He claimed that Martin Luther King was communistic inspired, that African-Americans should forfeit their rights and that hyperbreeding, a.k.a interracial marriage was an unpardonable sin this is what breeding <laughs> yeah um i thought that just meant like fucking a lot but no i'm a big fan doesn't. of that type of hyperbreeding let me tell you <laughs> not branham was openly opposed to uh, interracial relationships and preached against it in many sermons uh he connected people of mixed race ancestry to the wicked hybrid race of the serpent wow um you know, this is an actual direct quote from one of his sermons uh, that he gave in uh, 1960. It's, it's, it's called, But It Wasn't So From The Beginning. It was delivered on April 11th, 1960. What good would a white woman want to have a baby by a colored man, making him a mulatto child? It's not sensible. If I was a colored man or a brown man or a yellow man or a red man, I'd just be happy about it. Yes, sir. I sure would. That's the way my maker wanted me, and that's the way I am. Why does man want to tamper with anything for? When man gets into it, he ruins it. Let it alone the way God made it. Let a man be what he is. By the grace of God, let him be. And I think that's what he meant. You're hybridizing the good race that God created by having a black person breed with a white person. This is sounding very all uh, vague. Vagvikant as. I'm sure Varg would. I'm sure Varg would would fully follow William Branham. In this, definitely. 
so Billy is going to be preaching stuff like this up until his last breath. And even the FBI got caught up in the scandal of his death because of JFK. I mean, who the fuck isn't involved in this point in the story? Like, where's yeah. Charlie Manson? Everyone's here. We all know that Lee Harvey Oswald pulled the trigger on November 22nd, 1963. There's no other suspects. I won't accept anything less. But at the time, the KKK were under investigation for conspiracy to commit the murder. This kind of makes sense. They were hugely against having a Democratic leader. And they'd made more than one political threat towards the handsome and very handsy president in charge. And Branham had long been preaching that JFK was the Antichrist. He fucking hated him. Well, Branham hated Catholics. So I think there's a the yeah. fact that uh, Kennedy was a Catholic made him an enemy in the Klan's eyes. But what's interesting is among Branham's many prophecies was a prediction that the United States would elect the wrong president as a result of giving, giving women the right to vote. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't allow hogs to vote. So why would you let a woman vote? Duh. Um, yeah. But he later interpreted this president, the wrong president here, to be John F. Kennedy. He also predicted a powerful woman would take control of the United States, which he later interpreted to be the Roman Catholic Church, uh, which he reported as also being fulfilled with the election of Kennedy, who was Roman Catholic. You know, I wonder what uh, Brandon would have thought of Hillary. Probably oh, he would have her. imploded. <laughs> um Branham's visions ended with the apocalyptic destruction of the United States that left the nation's cities smoldering in ruins in 1977, which never happened. Well, this did happen, uh, as reported in the Warren Report. A few weeks before the assassination, Miami police uh, informant named William Somerset, he met with Joseph A. Milter, who was a very wealthy, very white-ring extremist, a.k.a. a member of the KKK, Um, who apparently began to outline the upcoming assassination. He fingered the Dallas Klan leader uh, R.E. Davis as the one who fired the fatal shots that day. Hmm. But Roy was firing shots of a different kind. Always one for attention and glory, he had actually taken to removing his hood and speaking publicly at KKK rallies, which was like verbotum. It's kind of like Judge Dredd taking off his helmet. Although I will allow it in the Stone film, which is the better Judge Dredd film. Uh, anyone who reads 2000 AD will agree with me. Newspapers would print pictures of him throwing the KKK salute in full costume with the tagline, Yesterday, today, and forever, in the background. This didn't harm his popularity in any way. It was said that as many as a thousand new recruits would join up after a rally held by him. I mean, he really was insanely popular. By 1959... Roy Davis had been elected leader of the National KKK organization and was reporting himself as national imperial wizard of the original Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. And he conducted rallies in multiple states throughout the nation. Um, He also endorsed Richard Nixon for president of the United States in the election of 1960. And that makes sense, because who was Richard Nixon friends with? Damish Kirian, the Kardashians. Roy continued to preach and recruit right up until his death in Dallas on August 12, 1966. The Klan were at its high point here with an estimated 30,000 people due-paying members and another another quarter of a million non-supporting members. But since then, they have been in a a decades-long decline. They've got just over 30 groups operating today under the white hoods of the KKK umbrella. Most of them have only formed in actually the last decade with about 3,000 active members in the USA today. So that's like, that's nothing compared. A fraction of what it was. 
But I do know what you're all thinking. You're thinking that this is a long time ago, Kate. People were different back then. Like, you know, Jerry Lee and Elvis, it was different. People could marry their 13-year-old cousins. It's okay. And yes, the Kardashians undoubtedly funded the KKK then. But what about today? We will go on record here and say that I have confined zero evidence of the Kardashian family now funding the KKK. But that doesn't mean that they're not racist weirdos. We are going to get to Kanye. But let's just say that the apple doesn't fall very far. In Jerry Oppenheimer's book, which I briefly mentioned last week, The Kardashians in American Drama, he reports on the marriage between Robert and Chris Houghton. Me and Claudia talk more about that on Patreon in the second show. Robert was a born-again Christian of Armenian descent who modelled his marriage on the movie The Stepford Wives. He kept copies of the Bible on his nightstand, on his persons, in his car, and in his work desk. He even had that stupid fish symbol sticker on the Rolls Royce. I'll never understand the fish symbol, what it's supposed to mean. To me, it just means you're a Pisces. I like when they they make it to look like evolution and give it legs. Oh, cute. Yeah. Robert was an Armenian Christian, so they basically believe in the Holy Spirit and the one God deal. And he's kind of, you know, carrying on his Moloccan roots in that way. When Chris attended church with Robert, their pastor, Kenna Kuliskin, had doubts about her sincerity, stating, I just sense that Chris saw in Bob a kind of gold mine. Robert was a very generous man, and that's good for Chris. She probably did. That guy had tons she of money. She did. Well, to She just wanted to marry somebody rich. And I mean, more power to her if that's your goal in life. Because she did it. Robert famously defended OJ at the trial of the century. And this led to the breakdown of the marriage. Uh, not going to give anything else away. You have to listen to the patron. Robert was very, very upset when his daughter Kim became a bride at 19. Despite him also marrying young and to a young woman. But maybe he had more of a problem with who she was marrying. And that was the songwriter, Damon Thomas. Um, she apparently said that it was a mistake and she was high on ecstasy when she married him. And let me tell you, I've taken ecstasy many, many, many a time and I've never gone down the aisle. Wait, was that the guy that she made the sex tape with? I think it was, yeah. The very boring sex tape. Yeah, well, put her on the map. Damon also happens to be black. And Robert said this. He said, I know those black guys, and I know that they love white pussy. OJ always brags about how much he and the guys get. The problem is that my kids are liberal. They're maybe too liberal, and I have no one to blame but myself. That's really nice. (laughs) He really should have made them more racist. (laughs) Robert died before he could make any more controversial remarks about the husbands of his daughters and the subsequent sex tapes that would go on to make. But it is well known that the Kardashians are super fucking religious. Kim and three of her children, I actually don't know how many she has. I think she has four. I'm not going to bother to look it up either. And Courtney and her kids, they're baptized at the, oh my God, D, you might have to say it, the Eshmedazian. I don't even know. Eshmedazian Cathedral? It's probably that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, During their visit to Armenia in 2019. In an interview with Vogue in 2018, Kim stated that their family starts their day in a group chat with a Bible verse from their mom, Chris, and then everyone debates the meaning of it. Sounds they fun. should start sl- slipping in some William Brannan serv- sermons in the morning and going from there. <laughs> some Slayer lyrics. Because despite not digging the church at the start of her marriage, Chris has certainly put forward a very uh, pious foot since be- she became the co-founder 
of a Californian community church, which was formerly called the Life Change Church, located out in uh, Agora Hills. They actually don't attend this church. Instead, they go to Hillsong Church, where Justin Bieber and Chris Pratt go to pray for the very, very mortal soul. The celebrity church. Maybe the family don't attend their own church for several reasons. One is that the church might be a tax write-off for the momager Chris and the family because the church, which requests $1,000 a month or 10% of your income, uh, this is fine because churches are not reported to, you know, you don't have to report your income when you're a church. The other might be because back when she was married to Kanye, they're actually going to attend Kanye services. Did Kanye go to Hillsong or did he go to a separate church? Kenny did his own sermons. Oh, he did his own? Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So in an interview with uh, Piers Morgan in 2011, Kim Kardashian said that she faithfully gives 10% to the church every year because that is what she was taught. But she's giving it to the church that her mother founded. So therefore, Kardashian is reducing her own taxable income and giving the money to her mom, to Kris Jenner. Yeah. Because she's the co-founder of this church. So churches are exempt from having to pay federal, state, and local taxes, according to the IRS. So this is just a tax shelter for them. They're able to avoid taxes. She's able to avoid taxes on 10% of her income. It's By giving it directly to her mom. And it's sneaky. Furthermore, in Agora Hills, there's another religious whackball who started his own church there. Mel Gibson. He's no put way. $68 million into his own church, the Holy Family Chapel, which operates out of a hev- heavily fortified 17-acre compound in Agora Hills. Mills lists as the church's CEO in federal, quote-unquote, tax records. And it's Whoa. last reported the congregation had numbered about, um, numbered about 70 heavily screened worshipers. So I wonder how you can get into that church. I wonder if the Kardashians have ever been there for service. I don't know. It's it Mel's, seems like it's up their alley. <laughs> that's Mel's way of uh, of uh, laundering his taxes. So talking more about Kanye's services, it's all very secretive, but assistants would scout the perfect location during the week because they never had a formal church. The choir, it's all color-coordinated in their clothes, and it's basically the sets lasting for an hour or more, making it kind of more like a gig than a church. A source at the Sunday services states he believes in the healing powers of music, but he also believes that God can step in and heal people's brokenness. Kim said during an interview with the ever-wise sage Jimmy Kimmel that there's no praying, there's no sermon, no words, just music and just a feeling. Do you have to listen to Kanye's music the whole time? He would, would either be Kanye or they would have guests who would come out and like, uh, like other rappers would come and just do a gig. And that's you at church. One of the other reasons I might not attend their own church, which is a tax haven, is because of the pastor, Brad Johnson, who actually officiated Chloe's wedding to Lamar Odom. So he's in the pockets of the Kardashians. He was handpicked by Chris to be the pastor, and he is not free from sin. In 2007, he was caught cheating on his wife. This led to their divorce, his suicide attempt by overdose, and where do all suicidal people end up? At his eventual job at Starbucks. (laughs) which is where Chris scraped him up from. I think that's what happens. When you're at death's door, you're about to commit suicide, just get a job at Starbucks. Just go there. I mean, it's where else are you going to go? <laughs> Brad's got a second wife. She's aptly named Karen. 
Karen has filed for bankruptcy twice in less than a decade, and she was hit with tax bills from the IRS too. So you kind of expect this past from a reality TV star and not from a pastor. In 2012, he moved into an 850K spread in Thousand Oaks after living in a small townhouse. Now his financial details are withheld from the public, but I'm pretty sure that the Kardashians are paying him very handsomely. Yeah, they're probably taking a uh, deduction on that too. Yeah. Back to Kanye. Recently, he's been holding some bizarre interviews in which he has reiterated anti-Semitic comments, his hatred for the left and the media, and his feelings for Kim and the Kardashian family. He has accused the media of using Kim to over-sexualize the young children of America on behalf of the Democrats because it wasn't him in the music video with Kim when they're practically shagging on a motorbike. It wasn't him. Echoing the words similar to that of William and Clem, as sponsored by his ex-wife's family, he said that I'm still priest of that home. They want to make it a matriarch society, but I am priest of that home and God is alive. I am the living Robert Kardashian, and I'm going to stand up for what God would want as a Christian. None of this is literally a shock for a man who wrote a song called I Am A God. Yeah, he's not a megalomaniac at all. Whilst we're talking about Kanye, this might be a little conspiracy theorist of me, but I thought it was an interesting link. Back in 2013, he raised many an eyebrow when his uh, Yeezus tour merch hit the internet. Included in several of his designs was a Confederate flag. Speaking at the time, he said, I represented slavery, my abstract tape on what I know. I took the Confederate flag and I made it my flag. What are you going to do? Maybe just maybe he was taking the flag that was part of the history as an African-American, but it's also part of the history of the Kardashians who funded the system that wanted to bring back slavery and the very group that would hunt, torture, burn, mutilate, and kill black people simply because of the color of their skin. Yeah, I wonder if it was a a slight dig or if he was just trying to be controversial. But do you remember that, that there's a picture, I'll post it to the site, where he's like got the he's squatting down. He's got the Confederate flag draped over his shoulders because he was. I vaguely it back. remember that. Yeah. bringing it back. But you know what? Oh. I was reading about Kanye. So he was on a podcast recently, I think towards the end of last year, where he said George Floyd's death was fentanyl related, <gasps> and that the cop's knee wasn't even on his neck like that. Oh, Kanye, why? I'm he, surprised his family, that George Floyd's family can't sue him for libel. Oh, no, they did. They, they, uh, oh, good. <laughs> his daughter put a, like his daughter, Moxie Floyd or something, put a $250 million lawsuit against him for, uh, uh, for slander. Um, and so recently he, he then, uh, in, a, in another interview, he addressed the swift fallout from all of his racist and anti-Semitic behavior. Um, and, and he talked about Adidas and Balenciaga severing ties. He says, God has shown me by what Adidas is doing and by what the media is doing, I know how it feels to have a knee on my neck now. So thank you, God, for humbling me and letting me know how it really feels. Holy shit. <laughs> so, you know, do you recall the movie Get Out? Remember the sunken place? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Jordan Peele film? So that trance-like, like, otherworld state that black victims usually are our go-to under hypnosis. I think Kanye is in the sunken, sunken place <laughs> because he's like, he's so hypnotized and uh, deluded by, by his bullshit that he's become a white supremacist and he's become prejudiced against his own race. Like he's so hypnotized 
by a white supremacy and, and the KKK that he now has become a member of the Klan, an honorary member of the Klan. That's what I hope is what happens, is I hope this all culminates in him joining the KKK and, and showing up in a leader. robe, just like that Dave Chappelle skit. Yeah. How amazing would that be? If he like starts wearing, like he already wore the Confederate flag. He's already said, ter- he already, you know, said like gone on record saying, I love Hitler. The next logical step is wear the hood, Kanye, wear the hood. I think, I think it is. And I think he'll say it's a fashion statement. We well, wore that it. mask. He wore that mask on Alex Jones thing. So I think he's just one step away from the triangular hood. When that weird fish crawled out of the primordial ooze millenniums ago, there was no glint in its eye that one day it would morph and grow into a world built on a foundation of racism, greed, brutality, murder, grafters, liars, fakers, screw jobs, all in a wonderful land called America. America has never been innocent. That cherry was popped on the boat on the way over and no one has ever looked back. The Kardashians thrived into the Kardashians. And although they can move on through the clicking of a clock, the blinking of an eye, those who forget their past are doomed to repeat it. You know, I still don't understand how no one has ever made a documentary detailing how the Kardashian family funded the second wave of the QK. I don't understand how no one has ever made a documentary detailing how the Kardashians funded the second wave of the KKK. I mean, we live in a time where comedians are canceled for sexist jokes that they made on Twitter 10 years ago. So how have the Kardashians not been called out for this? It's so up Vice's street. I don't understand why Vice have not made a documentary about this yet. Yeah. Maybe they will. How come no one's looked into their weird cult-like church? That is totally a tax write-off. I mean, they're yeah. not free from fucking sin either, are they? When they're using a church. And faith, they're using their faith as like a way to steal money, basically. I don't know. I, I think someone should call... I think someone should do a documentary pointing out these links because, I don't know, maybe a uh, a YouTube video or something. And let us write or the a podcast and give us credit. <laughs> <laughs> People, this is episode 881 here of Sick and Wrong. We have some phone calls coming up next. Got a few good ones this week, actually. You can call the Sick and Wrong hotline at 323-522-4032. But first, here's a Valentine's Day message from Adam and Eve. You can make this Valentine's Day one that you'll both never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. And there's more. With every order, you'll receive our romance kit free. Our romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus a free adult DVD to put you in the mood. And that's not all. Oh, no. We'll also throw in free shipping on your entire order. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and free shipping when you enter offer code DIDDLE. D-I-D-D-L-E. That's DIDDLE at adamandeve.com. I love playing uh, Harrison's Valentine's Day Adam and Eve messages. He, he, he has such a, a good radio voice. Yeah, definitely had a voice for radio. 
Yeah, he did this one. Hey. <laughs> he did have a face for radio. Um, so do I. But he did this great promo spot we did. I played on the second show sometimes that we did for Spotify. That was that we uh that yeah. we wrote together actually. But this um the Adam and Eve thing, he's just pretty much just reading verbatim on the uh on the ad that they give us. And it's yeah, it's just he do, he has just the perfect voice for it. But anyway, it is Valentine's Day for a couple more days, so I would take advantage and get their uh, their Valentine's Day offer. They send you like a bunch of extra shit, like an extra Valentine's Day package for him and her. Ooh, yeah, sexy. take advantage while you can. Um, the first call we have here is a very romantic call from Glasgow Greg. He's taking the cripple out on a posh date. Is he? Hey, second round crew. Glasgow Greg here, man. What's happening? What you gonna do? Massage these guys. You ever fucking had one? They're awful. That's not that tale. Took the, the the cripple for a posh, posh, posh night to uh, Stobo Castle. Give it a Google, man. Two posh for the fucking likes of me. I grew up in fucking Glasgow. Anyway, bad mistake. Wait, I, I, I missed that whole part. What did he say? He's taking the cripple for like a posh night at like this castle that he's. Oh, what a like, castle! At, like yeah, but I mean, this fucking castles like twenty a penny here. Yeah, it's but not do, impressive. But do they make like the they convert them into restaurants? These castles. Some of them, or it could just be like it's the remains of a castle, and they've built a hotel on that site. I mean, they're all different. I would have to Google this one. But yeah, when you you're coming from Glasgow and you're seeing a castle, it probably you're probably like. Your mind is blown. It is funny though. Castles everywhere. Well, it's funny like when uh, I first went to Carlisle, I'm like, holy shit, you got this big fucking castle in the middle of the town. This is amazing. You're just walking by it like, yeah, it's a castle. Yeah, and I mean, ours is very historic as well. I mean, Jacobites were imprisoned there. And Jacobites, it's like a famous for like the torture techniques that they did in Carlisle Castle. But they wouldn't give them water, so the Jacobites used to lick the walls. And there's like evidence of like where they've been licking the walls. <laughs> like the Jacobites were wall lickers. Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. So we go to that Stobo Castle, big fucking posh do. The cripple's gonna get some fucking massages and some fucking whatever women do in these fucking places. I've got a bottle of whiskey and a good fucking book and some weed. We're gonna sit in the room and have a fucking great time. That's what I thought. So take the cripple down first morning. She's got her house coat and all on the fucking slippers that they give you. All right, I missed that whole statement. So they've gone to the castle and they obviously have a spa because the cripple's planning on having massage. Massage, I heard that. And they and he's brought with him a bottle of whiskey and some weed. Some weed. Yep, they're gonna hang out yeah. in the room. Everything's they're gonna good. hang out in the room. Then so see, yeah, you know it. You keep it up. Oh, he said something though just now that that didn't. Ha- well, anyway, let's go. I'm down for the first massage. I'm going out for a joint. And the girl says, uh, you know, you can come too if you want. I'm like, what? She says, you can come for a massage as well. The cripple's like, come on, come on. I'm like, fuck. He's going to get a happy ending. <laughs> what, off, the, off both of them? Is, this, are they, is he going to be skied? By some is big fat Scottish guy in a kilt? <laughs> there we go. So I get changed into the fucking robe and whatever. You know, it's fucking awful. And uh, we walk in. Because that's like sort of first room you go into. This uh this wee girl comes walking up with a ball and I, I don't know what it was, she kinda she kinda pushed it towards me. And she pushed it towards me. I, th- I thought I'd drink it. 
That's, I take a big gulp of this fucking stuff and it's like, it's like coconut oil or something. It's fucking disgusting. They're like, no, no. Wait, he was drinking coconut oil? I think so. Oh, okay. All right. So <laughs> I didn't just imagine that. He took, they handed him some, some coconut oil and he drank it. Yeah, although I'd be like, why are they handing him coconut oil? But at least, yeah, I mean, people do drink coconut oil. You can expect to fucking shit your little heart out about an hour later. No, don't, don't drink. I'm like, gulp, gulp, gulp. Ugh, fucking man. Oh, he wasn't it's supposed like, to uh, drink it. It's like coconut oil fucking stuff. Anyway, I'm coughing that stuff out when we go through to the next room. Well, I now know that the coconut oil is this big pool where we sit and put our fucking feet in. I'm like, okay, okay. Then the next stage is the massage, so we go through, you know, you put your head in that fucking ring of shame, man, put the head in the ring of shame. Had the massage, thought I'm going to get out of here quick as fuck, I need to get fucking out of here. So, so running back out, I'm running out that quick, I forget my fucking phone. So, <laughs> I go back out and get my phone, and I see the wee girl go up and pour the fucking drink, uh, fucking, the, the, the bowl of fucking oil that I drank out of, back into the fucking... Wait, I'm confused. What's going on here? He forgot his phone, and then he drank more coconut oil, and he went into an O-ring? Like he was in an O-ring or something? No, he's in like, you know, when you put your face on the massage chair, chair it's got like that ring for your oh, face. Oh, the ring it? thing that you put your face, yeah, okay. Yeah, the ring of shame. And then, yeah, <laughs> he's went to get his phone, and the he's seen the young lass, and he's I think he's about to tell her that he drank the oil. Okay, all right. So the girl's got his phone. This is such a like proper dad story at this point. <laughs> like, what's it, dad? What, what's going on? What? Well, he's a granddad. Remember when we hung out <laughs> yeah, with him? That dude's younger than me, and he's a grandfather. <laughs> yeah, Glasgow man. Yeah, but people in Glasgow die at the age of sixty. <laughs> so you've got to get it all in years. fast. Back into the foot pool, man. Fucking disgusting. I I, I must have got mouth raped off like. Fuck knows how many feet. So I go up and I'm in the fucking shower like a crying game, you know, brushing my fucking teeth. No! It's fucking disgusting, man. Horrible experience. So we go down for dinner. Go down for dinner that night. You go in this big posh room and there's like a big spread of all these hams and cheeses and fucking fancy fruit and all sorts of shit hanging out. I'm like, okay, okay, let's have a bit of this. So the purple loves a bit of cheese. I like a bit of cheese myself, quite partial. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he went and got his phone back. <laughs> I'm I'm totally lost here. And now they they're they finished the massage and they're having cheese. Yeah, they finished the massage and now they've gone for dinner in the hotel, haven't they? And they're both partial to cheese because who the fuck isn't? I love a cheese board, mate. But I thought he was saying a vat of cheese. Uh, maybe he did say a vat. No, maybe he said a bit, and you thought he said vat. Oh, I thought you said a vat. Like of Americans cheese. would eat a vat of cheese. Yeah, I was about to say. Over here in, eating a vat of cheese. In this country, a vat of cheese is just like, you know, that's just, you know, one Wisconsin. That's normal. <laughs> yeah. Go up. I go to cut a bit of fucking cheese and I slash my finger, man, bleed all over the fucking cheeses and the fucking harms, the fucking works. Anyway, that's it. Three minutes, guys. Fucking have a good one. Hey, hey. Good luck in your new venture, man. You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained and all that. I'll follow these. Five seconds, wrong crew. <laughs> so, okay. So he ended that romantic dinner by slicing his hand Fucking and bleeding, bleeding all, all over, over the, the cheese. It's very romantic. 
What a posh romantic uh, weekend. I don't think this is about what do you think? What do you think he's doing for Valentine's Day? Oh, you know that Gigi is a romantic man. He will totally treat the cripple. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I bet she gets some he, anal. You think he's going to he get writes, anal? He will get anal off the cripple, definitely. But I don't think it has to be Valentine's Day for him to get anal off the cripple. <laughs> like, that's just like a random Tuesday. He's a very romantic man, the Glasgow, Glasgow Greg. He is. I mean, he writes poetry. It's very impressive. Definitely. Um, well... Thank you, Glasgow Greg, for calling in. Always uh, love to hear from you. And uh, send my love to the cripple. Um, yeah, I, I still talk about hanging out with him in Glasgow and going into the <laughs> handicapped restroom to do drugs. <laughs> well, technically, she is crippled, so it's fine. You were just her helpers that day. Yeah, you were helping alleviate two her. Two dudes need to help this crippled woman use the restroom. <laughs> no, there's not, that's not obvious at all. It was, it was very slick. <laughs> All right, this next uh, call is also somewhat romantic. Hi, it's Matt from the UK. Just thought I'd share an amusing story that happened to me today. I was collecting a load from up near Barnsley and was due a break. There's a nice hall with grounds over the road. Kim Rambo, have you ever collected a load near Barnsley? (laughs) Oh, my God. I think every Northern slag has collected at least one load from Barnsley at some point in their life. (laughs) Where's Barnsley? Fucking Yorkshire, man, isn't it? Is it or is it Greater Manchester? I feel like it's Yorkshire. I don't know. It's a shithole. I just thought it was funny. Collecting a load. I can see. I'm thinking because I know the accent of Barnsley. That's why I'm thinking is it Yorkshire, but it could be Greater Manchester. It's just a shithole. Barnsley. So I'll get out of the truck, go for a run, stretch my legs, get a bit of exercise. So I'm running along and I can see this rotundo on a leash with two handlers walking along. Fair enough, they need to get out and have a bit of fresh air too. Carry on running along. <laughs> Just walking then a shoe again. lands. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? <laughs> They're walking the spacker. A spacker? Yeah. Claudia this... reminded me of that word today, and I don't think I've said the word spacker since school, and I was like, I don't care if I get cancelled. I'm bringing the word spacker back. But are, are you not supposed to say the word spacker? No. <laughs> what does spacker mean? Doesn't it sound like it's an Ikea kitchen utensil? Pass me the spacker. Oh, God. Quickly, yeah, the spacker. It sounds like some kind of shelving unit from I- Ikea. Yeah, a spacker is just like a spaz, but it's just like a fun, like, northern way to say it. A Shut up, you fucking spacker. <laughs> so wait, in the north, do they take spackers for walks on leashes? Well, that's what they're doing. A spacker is like a rotundo in it, and so they're walking their spacker. <laughs> Six foot in front of me. Ten seconds later, another one comes whizzing past my head. Little fucker stopped took his shoes off and just waited till I ran him past and tried winging him at my head. <laughs> Handlers had clearly given up by this point. Anyway, I thought it was amusing. Cheeky little fucker made my day. Keep up the good work. Would you throw the shoe back? I would not touch his shoes, would you? <laughs> you would touch a spacker shoe. I would not touch. I mean, they're probably, you know how he got them off so fast. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Velcro? 
Velcro shoes on a sparker. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> but aren't they usually like really big with like big thick heels? <laughs> yeah, they usually are for like, like they've got orthopedics. But you know what? I wear a lot of like old Adidas high top trainers or like Nike trainers. And they're kind of sparkery looking shoes. And then I have glasses on too. So I wonder if people are like, there's that sparker walking by itself. Do you throw them at Mancunians running by? Like Mancunians no. jogging? <laughs> no, no, I would definitely do it as somebody from Liverpool, though. Take that, you, they're fucking, that's a city of sparkers. Do you recall when we were walking in Paris, yeah. we were walking towards Père Lachaise, Lachaise, remember? <laughs> and there was this like group of retarded people. Like, I mean, probably like 15 of them. Right. Me and Dee have talked about this. <laughs> Me and Dee play something called the game. And it's a never ending game where you get points. Leander couldn't quite grasp the concept of the game. He was getting it towards the end of the holiday, but me and you are like now experts at this game. Well, you've been playing it for a long time. You and Kessel used to play it, didn't you? Or was it luckily? Back in the day, we used to play it, but I've been playing it for years. But it's just basically you get points for the most horrible, racist, unusual thing that you see. Mm -hmm. So when I saw the gaggle of spackers, I saw them straight away and I was just like, points, points, points. I won that day. Nothing was. And the, I the main, think you the won main, Paris. You're talking about the one in the wheelchair. Well, it was funny. loved you. I didn't have my glasses on that day or contacts, so I kind of couldn't see. So I think I was at a bit of a disadvantage. However, I do fully admit you, you won Paris, I would say, with that. Because it was like a, a gaggle of uh, spackers. But this one <laughs> that was in a wheelchair that was going by just was enamored with me. I don't know oh, what it was, was but he tried to like grab me and was so excited. I think when it was I your hair. By. You had very fluffy hair that day. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I waved to him and I, you know, I smiled and he was so happy. Yeah, he loved you. And that just made it better. And was that also the day we saw the dwarf? No, that was that was a different day. That dwarf is like one of the most magical moments of my life. Just when we were like doop boop doo, walking past a cafe, doop boop boo, enjoying our time. Suddenly there's a dwarf there and me and you were both just like outright laughing. Well, he on was the, the floor. waiter there, but I gotta say, he was the coolest waiter I think that we had in Paris. It he was had really, some, he had the jokes. He had so many jokes, he was funny, he was very sarcastic, and he spoke really he good was. English. He did. And I mean, like, yeah, if you're going to be a dwarf, you might as well be a fucking hilarious dwarf. And that's how you get the fanny. Yeah. Funny gets totally. the fanny, as you say it. It does. Um, does that also work with spackers? Like, if you're a funny spacker, <laughs> do you still get the fanny? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, God. I'm, being... I'm asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. People haven't already turned off because I've been throwing around the word spacker quite liberally. <laughs> They're going to turn off now. <laughs> anyway, thank you for that call. Uh, very amusing. Kind of made my day, too. Uh, people, you can call the sticker on hotline 323-522-4032. Or you can email the show. Uh, just send us an MP3, stickeronpodcast, gmail.com. Uh, once again, big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. We do really appreciate you helping us keep it sick and wrong every week. Um, if you want to sign up for the Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Um, also, we have uh, new t-shirt designs up at the Tee Public Store. Just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop, click on the picture of the Pope, and buy yourself some uh, much-needed Sick and Wrong merch. And finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. This is very, uh, very appropriate 
for the theme of the show. Uh, we're going to end it with uh, the KKK took my baby away by the Ramones. Uh, this came out on the, their sixth song. studio record, yeah. uh, Pleasant Dreams. Damn fun record, actually. Yeah, it's also um, got She's a Sensation on, which is one of my favorite Ramones songs. The KKK took my baby away is one of my favorite Ramones songs. Yeah, rip, ripped off a cheap trick song. It, you know, it, it does. It totally has the, uh, what's that? He's a whore. It's got that same yeah. riff. Same um, riff. But I mean, they admit it. What's interesting about this song is is people try to explain what the uh, what it, what it means, like the meaning behind the song, and so in the documentary, the Ramones documentary that came out a few years ago, uh, end of the century, their tour manager Monty Melanick stated that it was clear to him that Joey was referring to Johnny Ramone, who stole his girlfriend uh, Linda away. No, it's not about that. I mean, Johnny did uh, tease uh, Joey for being Jewish. He, yeah, well, yeah, because Johnny was <laughs> very right wing. <laughs> Have you seen that somebody's trying to get Johnny Ramone cancelled? It's just like uh, fuck off Why? at this point. Stop doing it because, like, yeah, because he had right wing views. Go but after Johnny the Kardashians. Funding, yeah, Johnny wasn't fucking funding the KKK. I mean, you can be right wing and have your fucking views and still write amazing songs. Joey's brother. Mickey Lee disagreed, said that the song was written before Joey even knew about the affair. He yeah. said that the song was in response to Joey's relationship with a black woman whose parents disapproved of the interracial relationship. And so when Lee asked Joey, so what happened to that girl you're dating? Joe said, Joey said, the KKK took my baby away. Yeah, it's a great song. I love it. It's one of the best. This is why I always say when people say that the Ramones' first album is the best one, I just want to slap them. Because the Ramones only got better every time. Fucking best Mark, ever. Marky Ramone said that the song was inspired by Joey's experience at a mental institution. Right. Marky Ramone is like the Johnny Rotten of America. He just talks so much fucking trash. Like, just shut up, Marky. Reportedly, the lead singer became friends with a woman named Wilna, who is an African-American woman who is also in the same institution. Uh, they began to date. And this is, yeah, so this is the same thing. In the 70s, her parents objected to it. And uh, that's that was the whole thing. He said the KKK took his baby away. So who knows what, no. what it was about. But it's a damn fine song regardless. It's a and bop. I think it's actually pretty apropos for this episode, it especially is. considering what we've revealed about the Kardashians. People will be back next week with episode 882. Till then, take it sleazy. <laughs>
who gave me four incredible kids. So, when I divorced him, you have to know it came down to just one thing, his personality.